Uh, back at it. We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell on a winning weekend for Oklahoma State Hoops. They take down Arkansas in the Big 12 SEC Challenge. We got to talk about that. We have some golf to break down between the cheater that is Patrick Reed and Victor Hovland trying to take him down as well. But let's bring in Colby Powell. Colby, did you have a good weekend? There was a lot going on. There was a lot going on between Oklahoma State basketball and Victor Hovland being in the mix with everything that went down with Patrick Reed. But, uh, Carson, it was a pretty good weekend for another Cunningham in the state of Oklahoma. Oh, my goodness. Kate Cunningham was sensational. We're going to break that down as well. Man, he looked awesome <laughs> closing out Arkansas. We'll get to that. But first, let's hear from Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop on Campus Corner. You can shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com. And if you want some pistols firing gear, they, they also produce the PFB store. So go to the PFB store and get your pistols firing wear. Plenty of good options on there as well. So we always appreciate Chris's sponsoring the pod. I bet Chris has had some company this weekend at the with the Arkansas Razorbacks in town. A great non-conference matchup. Obviously, it's kind of the Eddie Bowl. You know, the two teams Eddie led to the Final Four. We'll talk about his uh, update to the Eddie Sutton court as well. But let's just talk about the game to break it down, Colby. I mean, you mentioned it off the top. I mean, Cade Cunningham, you know, I've been probably overly critical of him just because of the expectation that, you know, most people are pegging this guy as a top number one overall pick or at least top three. Everyone I've read says he's not falling out of the top three. And I just hadn't felt like he had do thoroughly dominated at all thus far he's played well I mean his efficiency is great he, he'll score about 20 points a game and that's that's excellent and he, he has the the skills you talked a lot about the passing ability that his teammates aren't knocking down shots which affects the assist numbers but all that being said what I saw in the final you know 10 minutes of the Arkansas game that to me looked like the number one overall pick that's what I've wanted to that's what I've wanted to see for a long time he really closed the Arkansas Razorbacks out in style yeah, he did. It looked to me like at about the six minute mark and even the guys on the broadcast and I don't know who was on the broadcast because if it's not Fran, it's kind of just background noise. Um, <laughs> but even the guys on the broadcast were like, you know, Cade, his shooting percentage in the last five minutes of the game really goes up and it really does. They showed the numbers first half. He's shooting like six or 30, 39% from the floor, I think. And that goes up to like 57% in the second half. And then it's in the sixties in the last five minutes of games. And, and I think it was on the possession with like five minutes and 40 seconds left, something like that, where Cade first started to take over, you know, he hit that turnaround fadeaway on the baseline. That was a great shot. He had the spin in the lane, picked his dribble up, spun in between two defenders, and then just floated it over a seven footer, just nothing but nylon so so pure and, and then down the stretch of that game he just he was unbelievable when the game was tied and he hit that shot I mean that's a step back 18 footer from the elbow for a college guy and and when he when he stepped back I just I don't know about you I knew it was going in I there wasn't any doubt to me that he was going to make it he was on fire the game was on the line it and he's he's Cade Cunningham not only that, how much trouble has Oklahoma State had from the free throw line this year? So then the the Vanover kid misses on the other end. Cade gets the rebound, uh, gets gets the rebound with what six seconds left, three seconds left. I, I don't know. There were there were a few seconds left. Oklahoma State's up by two with a one and one situation. So at this point, first off, you've got to make the front end. You don't make the front end, and they can throw up a heave and beat you. Then after he makes the front end, the game's over. If you make the second one, he makes them both. Oklahoma State gets the win. It was, you know, all across the board. What was it? 21 points, seven rebounds, five assists, three steals. 
he was Mr. Everything in a game that Oklahoma State needed him to be Mr. Everything. And, and that's not even mentioning the fact that he requested to come off the bench in that game because he felt Caleb Boone had earned the start. It was just an unbelievable Saturday from Cade Cunningham. He's completely ahead of his ahead of his time in terms of mental game like that, asking to come off the bench. And it's just unfair, Colby, for a guy who's six foot eight to have the handles that he has, the shot making ability. You mentioned the step back, the, the finishing ability he has and the passing ability he has. It's just, it's unfair. And if I'm Arkansas, I'm, I just kind of shrug my shoulders. Like, what, what are we supposed to do with that? Because what I saw out of Cade, and you mentioned it, I think he has the clutch gene. He remember he hit the, he hit the game winner against Wichita State. The shooting percentages you mentioned that they aired on the broadcast are, are hard to ignore as well. And while I haven't thought he's thoroughly dominated, like maybe a Zion or, you know, some other previous number one picks in recent memory, he looks probably the most NBA ready of a college player I've seen in a very long time in terms of everything I just mentioned, his, his all around ability, his shot making, his handles, his passing. I think he could step into a con NBA contender tomorrow and be one of the best players on the team, certainly a contributor. And I think that's that's something that I think OSU can really hang their hat on moving down the stretch here, Colby, is you have a difference maker like that, uh, that that's going to be huge. And it wasn't just Cade. Like, I think earlier in the season, Colby, let's see if you agree, it felt like they were just passing to Cade and trying to get out of the way, which I think it was way more in the flow of the game here with Arkansas. He had a few dishes there late, and obviously he he took some guys off, off pick and rolls and one-on-one, -on -one, but... The supporting cast is playing a lot better. You know, Moncrief's got 11. Caleb Boone, sensational. We'll talk about him as well, 16 and 12. Avery Anderson at 13. Uh, Rondo Walker, seven off the bench. So it, to me, this team is playing more like a team instead of just getting out of Cade's way. Yeah, I think so too. You know, if you would have told me before the game started that Bryce Williams was going to have six points and he wasn't going to make a three, I'd have told you, wow, that does not bode well for Oklahoma State if the, the only guy on the team that can shoot threes isn't shooting threes. But Cade makes a couple. Avery Anderson went three of four from beyond the arc, and his stroke was looking silky smooth. He had another couple nice plays. He had 13 points on the game. He's made a huge leap from a year ago. And, and you know, you talk about the leap he's made from a year ago. How about the leap in the last two weeks with Caleb Boone and Matthew Alexander Moncrief? Both of these guys, maybe it was a blessing in disguise for Cade to miss two games. And these guys just go out and, and you know, Boynton clearly was like, hey, go do your thing. Go score. Go, go bully people. Go be the guy. Caleb Boone played with as much confidence on Saturday as he's probably played with in his entire tenure at Oklahoma State. Every time Oklahoma State needed an answer earlier in the game, uh, you know, first half, early on in the second half, Arkansas would go down and score in Oklahoma State. You really need to score in that moment to keep them from stretching that lead out to seven, eight, nine, ten points. Caleb Boone would go get a bucket. Matthew Alexander Moncrief uh, made great plays in that game. And how about the play at the end of the first half, Carson, where Cade, with six-tenths of a <laughs> second left, lobs it up over the seven-foot-three guy from halftime, or uh, pardon me, from half-court, and M.A. just catches it and flicks it up and in, gives them a four-point lead at halftime. Those plays are so huge in games like this that come right down to the wire. Yeah, I think the ability to lob that pass over a seven-foot-three dude, to put it on the spot that he put it on where only, you know, uh, Moncrief could get it, that's such a hard pass, and Cade made it look so easy. Like, that that's a pass that a lot of players could get ten tries at and not put it in the right spot or get it blocked by the seven-foot-three guy. That – that was one of the better 
you know, final possession out of a timeout plays I can remember from OSU. And I think Boynton deserves a lot of credit. I think in, in the past he's shown that ability to draw up something out of timeouts to get it to get a clean look. And that was that was a great end to the half. But to your point about Boone, I mean, they absolutely have to have him playing like this if they're going to do damage uh, down the stretch in Big 12 play and certainly win a game in the NCAA tournament uh, if that's if that's where they end up. And, you know, there was a gaping hole left by URNA, and I keep saying it, but Boone is finally filling that void. I mean, 16 points, 12 rebounds, three blocks. I mean, that's what they have to have out of this guy inside or else they don't have an inside presence. I mean, Kuma plays one minute. He, he is what he is. He's a, a role player to kind of spare Boone off the bench, but they're going to, have to play small with, with, with what they have. But Caleb Boone to me is probably the, remember how, when Michael Cobbins got hurt, Travis Ford acted like the team just completely fell apart and they, they were not capable of winning basketball games because he probably was the most important player because he was the, literally their only big man that they could recruit that they had on the team. <laughs> I think Boone's similar in that he's probably one of the more important players on the team, even though he's not the best. Obviously, that would be Cunningham and, and maybe some others. But he's probably the most important player at this point in terms of what he can do inside. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, he's, he's progressed throughout the season. And because of the lack of depth amongst bigs, he's incredibly important for Oklahoma State. But one thing I've noticed with him is just the aggressiveness off of offensive rebounds. I felt like earlier in the season, Caleb would get an offensive rebound and the first place he would look would be the perimeter. Like, who can I pass this to so somebody else can make a play? And I feel like right now he had six offensive rebounds on Saturday. And I felt like he was coming down with the ball and he immediately hit the first thought in his head was like, all right, I've got it. And now it's going right back up at the basket. And he was eight of 11 from the floor. He went through a stretch from the start of that Baylor game through like the middle of the second half of the Arkansas game where he didn't miss a shot from the floor. Uh, he finally got one blocked by Vanover. And that was the first shot that he'd missed from the floor in a, a while, a week, maybe even 10 days. I can't remember if he missed at all against Baylor. So Caleb Boone playing the best basketball uh, of his young career at Oklahoma State right now. And it, it's nice to have the full complement of guys back out there. When I say that, obviously, I know that Chris Harris, Farron Flavors, um, those guys are still not out there. But Cade Cunningham and Rondell Walker, both back. It's just it's amazing that they played Baylor as closely for as long as they did. Whenever you look at this box score that we've got right here, Bernard Kuma played one minute. Keelan Boone played one minute. Other than that, lowest minutes on the team was Avery Anderson with 21. They had seven guys with 21 or more minutes. They had four guys play at least 30 minutes on Saturday. That was Moncrief, Caleb Boone, Isaac Likely, and Cade Cunningham. Um, and, and there's just so many other guys that are picking up the slack right now, Carson, because Isaac Likely is doing a ton of things well, especially on the defensive end, but he just doesn't really have the feel right now on offense. And he's, he's been a little careless with the ball the last couple of games. He had another five turnovers on Saturday, ended up fouling out of that game uh, late whenever he, he came in a little too hot and shoved somebody out of bounds. But there are other guys picking up the slack offensively, uh, which allows you to still be in games wherein Isaac likely just doesn't shoot the ball well and finishes the game with seven points that includes a banked in three. Yeah. They're now, I believe, 7-0 and when uh, likely hits a three. He is 7 of 15 on the year, 47%. You're saying they're likely to win if he hits one. I'm right. sorry. It's it's kind of a, I apologize for that joke, everybody. That's a that's a that's a good pun there. But Marshall Scott had this stat. It's OSU seven and zero when he hits a three. They're seven. He's seven of fifteen on the year at forty seven percent. But he doesn't take very many because I think, yeah, he's got to bank a few in if he's going to take a three. But to your point about giving the ball away, I think that's the one negative that comes out of the Arkansas game, and certainly 
against Iowa State, they had 24 turnovers, and their lucky Iowa State was barely a basketball team. They were missing like three quarters of their roster due to COVID. They're missing like seven players, and really, they were already one of the worst teams in the Big 12. So they they were able to win that game in blowout fashion, despite that. But 19 turnovers against Arkansas, that's something they're going to have to cut down. And and it wasn't just you know the other guys. Cade had four. Moncrief had five. Likely had five. Anderson had three. And those are those are some of your primary ball handlers. So that's concerning. And that's that's obviously something they're going to have to clean up moving forward. And they go to TCU. Then it's uh, Texas at home, I believe. So that's a, a winnable game at TCU. They have to win that game. They have to beat TCU uh, to keep the momentum rolling. And that's something I've talked about a lot with you, Colby, is it seems like when they get a big win, they, they take a step back. And this is certainly a big win against Arkansas. Yeah, it is. And, and you really you can't try to catch your breath against TCU because you already gave one away this year against TCU and you've got Texas and Kansas coming up on the heels of the Horn Frogs. Now, Texas, obviously a really good team. Now, of course, last week they were without two starters and their head coach. That's tough for anybody. Um, Kansas, on the other hand, boy, Kansas doesn't look like Kansas, Carson. I, if they're in the AP poll, whenever it comes out today, it should be out in the next couple hours. Uh, I look for it. It's not out yet. I'm expecting Oklahoma State to be included. I know for a fact Oklahoma is going to be included. They were already at number 24, and then they beat Texas and Alabama last week. But Kansas is not playing good basketball right now. If they're still in the top 25, they were number 15 last week, which I kind of thought was a joke. If they're still in the top 25 after this week, they're in there because of name only. So I would not be surprised if the next time that Oklahoma State and Kansas meet, Oklahoma State is the team that's ranked and Kansas is the team that isn't. Yeah, they've lost four or five. Got blown out against Tennessee in the Big 12 SEC Challenge. And I think you're right. Like, Kansas is not vintage Kansas. And I do wonder if Mike Boynton can go up to Lawrence and get his second win in Fog Allen. And it's certainly not as intimidating of a trip as it used to be without fans and certainly the way Texas or uh, the way Kansas is playing. So, so that'll put a bow on that. Obviously before the game, Colby, I want to talk about this. Eddie Sutton gets uh, his hall of fame due this year. He's a 2020 inductee to the Naismith hall of fame at long last took way too long, but OSU updates the uh, Eddie Sutton court. They put the, the hall of Naismith hall of fame under his name on, on the court. So it was cool to see Arkansas in town, a school that Eddie loved and obviously coached to the final four and cool to see Eddie get his due. They're wearing Eddie t-shirts and, uh, just you can't do enough for Eddie because of what he did for OSU. Yeah, the unveiling of the Naismith Hall of Fame on the court was awesome. Both teams wearing the shirts. And even what I liked was the unveiling of the, the Naismith Hall of Fame on the court. It was Scott Sutton, and then it was – oh, my gosh, I can't believe his name just, just slipped my mind. Corey uh, but it was Scott, Do what? Was it Corey Williams? Yes, I believe it was. I believe it was. Who played for Eddie at Oklahoma State and is now an assistant coach at Arkansas. And he was part of the unveiling of the Naismith Hall of Fame there on the court. Um, And I noticed, what was I watching the other day where I noticed that uh, Arkansas in their practice facility, it's the Eddie Sutton practice facility at Arkansas. It's just the, the, the bond between those two schools to, to honor Eddie on Saturday was so cool because he meant obviously so much to both of those programs and still means so much, certainly to all of us at Oklahoma State. Absolutely. Corey Williams was my first favorite OSU player. I think the first year my dad started taking me to, to uh, Gallagher-Ibo was when Corey Williams was playing for Eddie. I think his first season maybe, first or second season. And uh, I wore number five in basketball because I loved Corey Williams so much. He was my favorite player when I was – very, very young. So it was really cool to see him in the house as well. And uh, you're right. I mean, there was an interesting story from, or some quotes from Scott, kind of wondering what would have happened had Eddie stayed at Arkansas. He said, you know, in hindsight, perhaps Eddie 
should have stayed at Arkansas with the way things happened at Kentucky because he was such a good fit at Arkansas, just like he was at OSU. And that's that's certainly a what if an OSU lore. What if Eddie never comes to Oklahoma State? But uh, he finally got his due. And I look, I've I've dedicated a lot of time on this podcast ripping the Naismith Hall of Fame to shreds, but at least they finally did what was right, even if it was far too late and far too late to where Eddie could barely even enjoy the moment. But it was cool to see that, and I, I love seeing Eddie Sutton Hall of Famer on the course. That was big. Yeah, time. you're you're a nicer and more understanding guy than I am. I give him zero credit. I give the Naismith Hall of Fame zero credit. They yeah, they yeah. did what was right after doing what was wrong for so so long. So I yeah, I'm not that nice of a guy. I I'm still to hell with all of them. Yeah, those those self righteous uh, Naismith Hall of Famers. Uh, I better not say anymore. Uh, it was also <laughs> the 20th anniversary of the um, the OSU plane crash. Obviously, remembering the 10 Colby is so important uh, for Oklahoma State University, not just the, the basketball program and. There was some very cool uh, stories and, and tributes this week. Uh, you know, Will Hancock's daughter was was barely born when when the plane crash happened. There were some great stories from Jenny Carlson and the Oklahoman on her growth growing up. You know, I actually <clears throat> my first job at the Ocali, the student newspaper, my, my first journalism job, I was the soccer beat writer. That was like the first gig I had. And Will Hancock's wife was, of course, the coach and. She was so nice to me, so understanding when I would screw things up. So I'd never, I'd never been a beat reporter before. I didn't know what I was doing. And I screwed up a lot. And she was always very nice to me and very understanding and, and very cool. And uh, I always remembered that. I remember her, her daughter was like barely walking at the time. She was really little and running around practice. So I, I kind of have a personal story with that. But one more thing I wanted to get your thoughts on the, the anniversary of 20 years. It's hard to believe. But Desmond Mason had a really good uh, kind of tweet slash he put out a big big post about it how he was with the supersonics in seattle and he basically told them like i'm leaving i need to go be in stillwater you can find me if you want and he rents like the fastest private jet available and goes to stillwater and i i knew all those things but what he detailed in his post was going into eddie's office when he arrived and he said that eddie just completely like broke down in his arms and like started bawling. And he's like, that killed me. Cause I'd never seen Eddie cry. Obviously he was such a giant figure. And I think that really shines a light on the grief that Eddie went through. Like the fact he had to call those families, he had to be a rock for the university. And when you evaluate what happened with Eddie relapsing with alcohol, I think that has to be part of the discussion. Is that an excuse? No, I'm not making any excuses, but that's part of his life story is what he went through with that 20th anniversary with the plane crash. And I think that had a huge effect on his life. I think that's, there's no doubt about it. And I thought it was interesting to hear Desmond's perspective. Yeah, it definitely was. And you know, January 27th is always a very emotional day for me. I lost a friend my senior year in high school to a car accident on January 27th, 2011. So every time the Remember the 10 anniversary comes up, the same day for me is the anniversary of losing a friend to a car accident in high school. And, you know, I was eight years old when the plane crash happened. So as an eight-year-old, you know, I, I knew what was going on and everything, but you're eight years old. So I didn't grasp, I, I didn't grasp the grief behind it. I, I didn't grasp how difficult that was for everyone. And every time I think I grasp it, I hear another story 
that I'm like, you know, having only been eight at the time, I, I, there's no way I can ever truly understand what that was like and what that was like for the people in that program. You know, Des in his statement said that he, he saw it on ESPN as he was leaving the, the Sonics building in Seattle and, and he was trying to call, he said he was trying to call Dan, Daniel Lawson, who passed away um, in, in the crash and he wasn't answering. It was just going to voicemail. So then he called his dad and he said, you know, is this real? Was Dan on that plane? And, and he told him yes. And I just, I can't, it's, it's so hard to even comprehend the grief that, that comes with that and, and that the entire program had to deal with. And then, like you said, the story about Eddie just falling into Dez's shoulder and, and the two of them just, just crying, just bawling their eyes out. It's just, it, it's hard to even comprehend or fathom what it was like for those people in that moment. And it's just, it, it's heartbreaking every Every time that we uh, relive it, and it's important to relive it, it's important to remember those 10, but it's just, it, it still to this day is just so heartbreaking. Yeah, it really is. And I, I was a little older than you. I was, God, 2001. I was in high school, and there was a period of time where we didn't know, like, we knew there was a plane missing. And at that point, you don't know if, like, the entire team is missing. Like, you didn't know. And it was just, it was just such a shocking day that I vividly remember you know, watching the news. I was watching my guy, Bob Berry Jr. kind of detail it all. And, and it's sad for me too, because, you know, I'm, I'm sure you got a chance to listen when you were young to, to Bill Teagan's calling the games. I felt like I knew Bill because I would drive with my dad to Stillwater for an hour each way. And we'd listen to the pregame and the postgame. And sometimes we'd listen to the football games on the radio as well. And just, you felt like you knew Bill and he was so good at his job. And he obviously was, a, was a giant figure that was, that was lost as well. And so, just a sad day, but I think OSU's done a tremendous job with the Remember the 10, the Remember the 10 run. And they, and Mike Boynton, too, does a really good job to keep his current players kind of in the know on, on what this means for the school and what it means for the OSU family. So sad, sad week. But I think, I think the Remember the 10 is a, is a great example of what it's like to be an OSU alum. Like, you don't understand it unless you went to OSU. Like, there's a very like there's a very tight knit bond for people that went to Oklahoma state. And I think it's on full display every time the, the anniversary comes around. So it's important to recognize. And I, again, I, I can't believe it's been, been 20 years. It's just crazy how, how fast time moves. So uh, one more quick note before we get to uh, the golf with Victor Hovland's contention, uh, Tylen Wallace, his draft anal analysis is starting to come out and pro football focuses. Mike Renner kind of did some analysis on him. I want to touch on it real quick. And I was always uh, curious how, draft experts viewed Tylen because we never really see his name very often in terms of mock drafts. And I guess he writes that one of the major concerns is whether he can expand his route tree and overcome more physical cornerbacks in the NFL. So already you're starting to see Colby that people are questioning his size. And I would just say, cue up the tape. Uh, no one's out physically, <laughs> out physicaling Tylen Wallace, especially at the point of attack when the ball's in the air. I think he plays a lot like Dez, you know, Dez Bryant was 6'1" but he looked like he was 6'4", going up to get the ball. And I think Tywin's very similar. So apparently that's the knock on him. And uh, he, he wants him to play in the slot a little more, which, again, I, th I think Tywin's an outside receiver. And I don't think you have to be like, – James James Washington's proven that too. You don't have to be six foot three to play on the outside. So I thought yeah, that was I mean interesting. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot more receivers in the NFL that are six foot six one than there are that are DK Metcalf. Th those guys are fewer mm -hmm. and further between than guys like Tylen Wallace. And we knew that these were going to be the concerns for Tylen. But you know, if you stick him on the outside in his first game as a pro, and Jalen Ramsey's guarding him, if you're asking me who has the advantage, of, of course it's Jalen Ramsey. 
there aren't that many Jalen Ramseys in the NFL. We see we see corners in the NFL getting burnt by by guys that are just guys every week. The 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 rules are so slanted in the offense's favor. I mean, the defenders can't put their hands on them. They can't do anything. I'm not worried about Tylen's route tree. I'm not worried about his size. Look, this is a, a great draft for wide receivers. There are some unbelievable receivers in this class. I, I would tell Oklahoma State fans. Don't freak out if you don't see Tylen go in the first couple, first few rounds. Tylen will go. Just the, the only way I'm going to freak out is if Tylen goes to just a terrible organization. I don't want him with, with the Lions. I don't want him with the Jets. I don't want him with the Texans. Don't send him to some terrible organization. Just go to a good organization. Doesn't matter where he gets drafted. You make your money on the second contract anyway. So don't freak out if you don't hear his name called and there are other receivers going because that's going to happen and he'll be able to prove himself once he gets to that level. Anyone but the Lions and Texans. I'm 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 done. I'm yeah, so done with the Lions. The, Jets and the Lions and the Texans. Yeah, I, I'm so done with the Lions after they ruined Barry Sanders' career. They they basically have held Matt Stafford hostage for all these years. Um, Billy Sims before them. So I'm, I'm done with the Lions. But now they're ready to bite off some kneecaps. So they got that going for them. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that that guy. Oof, that's not going to end well. Uh, let's get to the golf, uh, Colby. Victor Hovland was in contention on the weekend. You know, he was in the lead after after Friday. And here were his stats after Friday via Sean Martin from the PGA Tour. Victor was number one in driving accuracy, hitting 22 of 28 fairways. He was second in greens hit, hitting 30 of 36 greens. He was 10th in driving distance, averaging 305. He hit 79% of the fairways. The field was only hitting 50%. Just a ball-striking show from Victor put him atop the leaderboard. And I think we have to discuss what happened down the stretch. You know, Victor certainly fell apart, but I think Patrick Reed dominated the headlines Colby. And I think the number one story was the maybe embedded ball that he thought was embedded that he picked up before a rules official could come clarify. And and Patrick Reed has a long history of cheating. And once again, it, it reared its ugly head. Yeah, it, it did. And look, his ball bounced about a yard forward and then nestled down in the grass. He was still 30 feet away from seeing his ball for the first time when he started to ask the volunteer if it bounced. He was already looking for a way to get a ruling. It was a disaster. Patrick Reed is uh, he's he's an embarrassment. I had uh, a, a pretty high profile name in the game of golf. I, I do a golf podcast as well. The 73rd hole reach out to me direct message on Twitter. And I, I won't say who it is because he didn't put it out publicly. So I'm, I'm sure he doesn't want it known publicly, but just reach out to me and say, Patrick Reed's an embarrassment to the game. And, and he is. It, it's getting ridiculous at this point. And even some of the players yesterday, Lanto Griffin came out and said it pisses us off. Uh, Xander Schauffele came out and said the talk amongst the boys isn't great, but he's protected by the tour, I guess. It, it's just, it, it's hard when everyone else is playing by one set of rules and Patrick Reed's not doing the same thing. You know, he knew where the camera was. He put his back to the camera. He had the ball in the palm of his hand, moving it around. That's against the rules. It's and, you know, with the Rory situation is not the same. Rory said he puts it on his life, that his ball went back into its pitch mark. Rory hit a five iron that he said ballooned. Nobody's, it took him two minutes to find the ball, and, and his ball was embedded. I believe him when he says his ball was embedded because he hasn't been cheating since the day he came on the tour. In fact, Rory's never once in his career been involved in a rules situation, and Patrick Reed's involved in one every six months. And if that's how often we see it on camera, I mean, how often is it happening on Thursdays and Fridays when they're not showing every single one of his shots? It's just a disaster. And, you know, Victor Hovland on that back nine, he was he was America's sweetheart on that back nine for a long time. <laughs> Country Basically, was behind him. Oh, my gosh. Everybody 
was rooting for Victor Hovland so hard. Even on the broadcast, they were rooting. You could kind Faldo. Of oh, Faldo was like, go, go. He, yeah, he, he was like he's yelling at his Hovland's golf ball. ball. <laughs> yeah, he was cheering on Hovland's golf ball. That 14th hole got him on Saturday and Sunday. He hit it in that hazard probably within two yards of each other on Saturday <laughs> and Sunday. Plays that hole three over on the weekend. Then he gets stymied behind the tree on 15. And then he absolutely yips a 26-inch putt on number 17. Do you see how much money that cost him, by the way? I knew it took him from solo second to like a five-way or four-way tie for second. How much money was it? $361,125. Uh, That's a yipped costly putt. putt. Very well, costly. I'm, I think I'm to blame for his yips. You know, oh, I, I think you are too. Like the Twitter jinx just never ceases to amaze. You know, there's a hashtag, just never tweet. I, I should just never tweet while Victor's in contention, I guess. But, you know, I put out there that Victor had earned a reputation as a shaky putter. He really had earned that reputation, which was mind-blowing to me because I watched him in college. You don't go undefeated in NCAA match play if you're not an unbelievable putter. He hit so many clutch putts. He won like 72 consecutive. He never trailed for like 72 consecutive holes of match play at the U.S. Amateur. You don't do that if you're a shaky putter. You just It's impossible. There's just no way. So I think he's a great putter. At least he was in the college level. He obviously is having to learn how to do it at the, the pro level. And I tweeted out <laughs> during the round all of what I just said, how he's had this reputation. But he's 10th in strokes game putting this week. So he was top 10 at that point. And then, of course, he yips the, the two-footer. And he missed one earlier, I think, that I that Yeah, I he missed one on 13, the par five, right after you sent that tweet. Right he after. Five-footer five that he just – pushed and missed like three inches low i yeah i, I was ready to put the blame on you carson yeah, i almost unfollowed fault. you on twitter but i figured that'd probably be too far i'll i'll take the blame now he did have <laughs> two birdie putts lip out which that's golf that's that's yeah. gonna happen and but, the, the one on well, 17 the, the one on 17 was a brutal lip mm-hmm. out because that's the one where he ended up coming back and missing the two-foot comeback yeah it was perfect speed just somehow didn't drop just just maybe a quarter of an inch too far right but Back to back to Reed, and I'm so tired of people saying, "Well, you just don't like Patrick Reed." Well, let's let's add context to the situation. Reason. He was caught cheating by his teammates at Georgia, and he was kicked off the team essentially for for multiple times. He was cheating and rubbing people the wrong way. He's just a bad guy, but he was caught stealing cheating from his teammates. He's che- what's that? And stealing from his teammates. Stole a wallet out of one of his teammates' lockers. Right, but mainly his, his integrity has is, has already been shot when he was in collegiate player. He was trying to cheat during qualifying rounds at the University of Georgia. Not even during a tournament. It was during qualifying rounds to play for Georgia. And so that happened. Uh, Peter Costas on the No Laying Up podcast has accused him of cheating multiple times where he'll, he'll pull a three-wood out, mat the lie down behind the ball, and then switch to like a seven iron. He was never going to hit three-wood. He's just improving the lie. So he's been caught cheating doing that. He's been caught cheating for sure on camera with the the, the bunker at the whatever tournament that was. So yeah, it was the Hero World Challenge 2019. Yeah, so he he's a known cheater. And when this happens, I just think back to you know he burned down Karsten Creek. He he destroyed Peter Uline in match play. But how many horrible lies did he have at Karsten Creek that his playing partner was off playing their own ball that he improved himself? How how many times has he done that? And there was a great tweet from Monday Q Info. Patrick Reed got through six Monday qualifiers and gains and gained PGA status from it. I think it's impossible to wonder to not wonder if anything shady happened at those Mondays where one stroke can mean in or out. So, like 
the fact is this guy cheats all the time. It's just when he's around the lead, does he get caught? So we've all played Colby. You and I have all played with guys who cheat during playing golf. Usually there's money on the line. I don't play for a lot of money, so I, I've never felt the need to cheat. I, I think I have more integrity than that as well. But certain guys are just known cheaters. This guy's a known cheater. He cheated. I can't believe he moved his ball before the official came over. How the official can reach through six inches of rough and determine there's a lip on the ground. That, that was nonsense. Complete nonsense. Now, Reed was awesome. His short game is out of this world good. He won by five shots. So Victor didn't do his part, but... I don't know. Just it drives me crazy when people are like, well, Rory did the same thing. You just don't like Patrick Reed. It's like, well, Rory took a drop last year and thought the lie was too good and dropped it again. That's the integrity he has. So yeah, Rory's ball. They were trying to find his ball and a volunteer accidentally stepped on it. So he was awarded a free drop. And then because he thought the free drop was too good, because obviously if they were having to look for the ball, the lie was bad. And then when he dropped it, it was perched up where he could have just flipped a 60 degree up to a foot and tapped in for par. And he's like, guys, this isn't right. And, and he asked the rules official if he was entitled to another drop. And he told him, yes. So he dropped it, got a worse lie, made sure he dropped it in thicker grass, got a worse lie, didn't get it up and down, made bogey. That matters. And, and I said this on Twitter. I'm like, you know, if we're in criminal court or something and you've got two witnesses and one witness is an upstanding citizen of the community who everyone vouches for their integrity and the other guy's been convicted of perjury seven times, well, whose testimony carries more weight? <laughs> right. Rory said on his life that his ball went back in its own pitch mark and it was embedded. And I have no reason not to believe Rory. When he said it immediately, I was like, okay, that's what I think happened. That's what it looks like happened on the video with Rory. Reed's ball bounced a yard forward. He was asking for relief before he even got to the ball and saw the lie. Rory took relief because his ball was embedded. Reed took relief because the volunteer said she didn't see it bounce. Not the same thing. It's just, it, it really is a disaster. And I don't think that it is far-fetched to question uh, anything that Reed has done. I'm, I'm totally okay with questioning anything he's done because he has opened himself up to that with a complete lag of integrity. Um, Carson, before we move on, I, I just circling back to Oklahoma State golf for a second. This upcoming week, at TPC Scottsdale at the Waste Management Phoenix Open. It's a big week for Ricky Fowler. Ricky Fowler has now dropped to 62nd in the world after finishing T53 this past week. So he is not currently qualified right now for the Masters. He's not even qualified for WGC Mexico, which is going to be played in Florida this year because of COVID. So he needs to have some good finishes over the next about six weeks if he's going to get himself into the Masters. And this week is the course where he's played some of the best golf of his career. So I think that this is an important, important week for Ricky Fowler if he wants to tee it up at Augusta in April. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's shocking to see Ricky outside the top 50 because that's he's been a staple in the top 20 virtually his entire career. And you're right, he has won at Phoenix. Um, but this, to me, is this is a real fork in the moment uh, spot in Ricky's career. I think he can go one of two ways. He can get back to the status he had before, or he can continue this slow precipitous drop in, in the, in the OWGR rankings, kind of like a, like a Jordan Spieth, Jordan Spieth's hovering around the hundred range. I think he's in the nineties. Uh, I'm not, I don't, I'm not convinced he's lost his game as much as Spieth has, but he just is not playing up to the standard of, of a Ricky Fowler. So it'd be great to see him contend. And you're right. This is a course that suits him. It's a course he's won at before. It's great to see him pop up and get another win because it's crazy that Patrick Reed has nine wins and Ricky has five. Uh, you know, you certainly wouldn't have thought that earlier on in their careers, but uh, Reed has what it takes to close out wins. When Reed's in the lead, man, it's it's hard to chase him down. He'll just par you to death. 
he'll sneak up with a few birdies and that hasn't been the case for Ricky. He just has had trouble shutting the door, but he has won at Phoenix. that when he had in Phoenix, he was not exactly slamming the door shut. <laughs> was that last year or the year before? Uh, 2019. He kind of limped home. He had a stone cold shank early on in the round and somehow got it up and down off a cart path, but <laughs> it wasn't pretty, but he got it done, but I'm with you. This is a huge fork in the road moment. It's good to see Taylor Gooch still playing well. He kind of slid down the leaderboard as the tournament progressed, but he's playing well. Uh, Matthew Wolf, I hurt his hand. He, he, he withdrew in the tournament. I, that was a kind of a weird, he shot 78 in the first round and, and withdrew with a hand injury. So ho hopefully he can get healthy and, and back on the course as well. Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd love to see Matthew Wolf back out there. It's funny. I, I pulled up the official world golf ranking. Ricky Fowler's number 62. He's sandwiched between Sebastian Munoz and Adam Long for some context as to where he falls right now in the official world golf Ooh. rankings. Uh, Victor Hovland after his, T2 this past week is all the way up to number 12 in the world. Wow. Uh, one spot behind Patrick Cantlay, one spot ahead of Brooks Kepka in the world golf rankings. And then Matthew Wolf is down to 18 this week after his WD. So hopefully he's back out there as soon as possible with whatever's going wrong with his hand. Yeah, I'm curious to see, you know, Wolf's probably got to win a few more times before he makes a Ryder Cup team. But I'm curious to see if Hovland can sneak in on the European team. Uh, oh, I don't think he's going to be sneaking. I think he's going to be roaring onto the European. Do you think he'll company. just earn it, or do you think he'll be like a captain's pick? Uh, I think he'll earn it. Uh, I, I would be pretty surprised if he doesn't earn it. He's playing say, good golf, and he's got another fifteen tournaments to play. I was say top twelve in the world. You would think that yeah. already be yeah, and, qualifying. And if he, yeah, if he doesn't earn it, then you know, however the point system works, going back a couple years or something. I don't know how they're doing it with COVID since the Ryder Cup was delayed a year. If they're going with points all the way back to twenty nineteen, you know, when he wasn't even on tour. I don't know how that's going to work. But if he if he's not in via points, I would be shocked if he was not a captain's pick onto the European Ryder Cup team. And, and I'll just let you know right now, if he and Reed tee it up against each other in singles on Sunday, I'll root for America to win the Ryder Cup. I'm rooting for Hovland to beat the brakes off Patrick Reed. I was say, I'm not, I'm not ready for a world where I have to root against Victor Hovland in the Ryder Cup. I'm not ready for that. I'm not mentally prepared. He's going to be his normal jovial self wearing European colors. I'm not gonna be able to root for him. I don't, I don't know if I can, that. I don't know if I can not root for him. I might, I seriously, Victor Hovland, he, he's maybe my favorite guy. He's, he's one of my favorite golfers, obviously tiger, but he's one of my favorite golfers uh, that I've seen on tour in a long time. Cause he's just, like you said, he's so jovial. He, you, you tweeted the video out yesterday of him being his personal bobblehead next to all of his <laughs> bobbleheads, which is so great. After he won in Puerto Rico, he talked about his chipping sucking. He's got the press conference where he says, stay off the weed. And you know, he just loves Stillwater. He made it out on tour. He didn't go to Jupiter. He stayed in Oklahoma. He practices at Karsten and up at national. he, He's just, I love Victor Hovland. So he drove know. himself to like nine tour events all, all across the country, listening to like Norwegian death metal. Like what's not to love about the guy? Oh, he's, just, he's awesome. So I might just have to root for him and all his Ryder cup matches and hope that America wins the rest of them. Yeah. That's going to be, it's going to be weird when he plays Ricky in match play or, or Wolf in match play as well. So, Oh, I didn't think about that. Uh, that, that'll be strange. So that's that's the golf talk. Uh, let's get to buckets and bricks real quick, Colby. Uh, this is where we give out our positive and negative from the, from the weekend. Uh, my first bucket's going to be Mike Boynton. Again, I, I just think this guy gets it. That's the best way to describe Mike Boynton. And it was really cool to see OSU put out uh, some pictures of, of, of Boynton showing his current team, you know, the, the monument there, the memorial inside Gallagher-Ibo with the statue and all the, the 10 plaques of the 10 members who were who perished in the plane crash. And Again, just another example of Mike getting it. And 
I think every coach, I think, I think Travis Ford got it too. He did this as well with, with the remember the 10 and he was, he was always great with that. And I just, I wanted to commend Mike Boynton. Uh, just another case that he gets it. He gets what OSU is all about and he's continuing that, that tradition. Yeah, no doubt. That's a good one. He, he's been great uh, lately. He's been great this season. A little bit of a slow start with the couple conference losses and the, the collapses against TCU and West Virginia, but he's been absolutely nails since. So a lot of credit to Boynton. It, it's, you know, it's an easy one, but it's an easy one for a reason. My bucket's going to Cade Cunningham. He he absolutely asserted himself as the best player in college basketball and the number one overall pick on Saturday. I just I cannot get over the move that he made where he spun his way down into the lane, split defenders, and then floated it up over a seven-footer. And it, and it just looked so easy to him. It looked so effortless. Everything he did in the last six minutes of that game on Saturday looked like it came so easy easy to him and there was such rhythm and flow to it I just I, I cannot be more impressed with Cade Cunningham and I, I tweeted out on Saturday I said enjoy this Oklahoma State fans because this is the best basketball player that will ever come through Stillwater and I firmly believe that he you know he's the highest rated recruit to ever come out of high school basketball ever 99.99 he has been the projected number one pick in the NBA draft since he was 16 whenever he comes out and and he's just going out and uh, you know he's a team guy he's doing what he needs to do he chose to come off the bench on Saturday to help the confidence of a teammate everything about him is just it's unbelievable so my huge huge bucket goes to Cade Cunningham I saw your tweet when you when you said that it, it took me aback but it's absolutely true like it's weird to think about it that way that this is the best player that will ever come through Stillwater in terms of his pedigree but uh it's hard to argue I mean you just mentioned all the the reasons why so if he, if he ends up being the number one overall pick I think that's pretty much on lock but uh uh, my brick, again, we touched on earlier, the Naismith Hall of Fame, those sanctimonious you-know-whats. Uh, you can't have a Hall of Fame without Eddie Sutton in it. Like, his resume is unassailable. And if you want to talk about probation and whatever else, you need to talk about some other people that are already in the Hall of Fame. Jim Calhoun, Jim Beheim, both caught cheating. Uh, Jerry Tarkanian, are you freaking kidding me, was already in there. So I don't know why they, they blackballed him for so long. I, I have my... I speculate that there was some Kentucky people that were making the, the calls and they're just, they're so offended that Eddie got big, bad Kentucky in trouble that they just held it against him all these years, but uh, shame on them. Shame on those voters. I hope they I hope they can't sleep at night knowing that they, they screwed over a great man. So screw the hall of fame. Yep. I love that one. That's great. Um, I'm, I'm going to give my brick to Patrick Reed because this was such a great tournament. It really was a great golf tournament until he did what he did. There were huge names on the leaderboard. It looked like it was just going to be unbelievable. And he totally took the attention away from that. And I think the one thing that gets lost is, you know, and they started doing it yesterday on the broadcast, talking about Patrick Reed overcoming the adversity on Sunday. Yeah, that's self-inflicted adversity that he overcame. He, he cheated and then won the tournament anyway. I don't know that he overcame adversity, but just the shadow that it casts over everybody in the field. And, you know, Victor Hovland's out there and he's grinding, trying to win a tournament. And, you know, they're all having to deal with the shadow of the fact that the guy they're chasing pretty clearly cheated on Saturday or, or at least broke the spirit of the rules, whatever you want to call it, you know, his ball wasn't embedded and he took embedded ball relief. It's just, it, he cast a shadow over the tournament. I'm sure that it was in the back of the minds of, of everybody on the golf course that the guy they're chasing, you know, we're playing one set of rules and this guy's playing a different set. So I just, it, it's such, 
such a bad scenario and it's so bad for golf that they have somebody out there doing that and it's the and that it's the same guy over and over again and, and yesterday i'll even give a, a secondary bucket to victor hovland because yesterday after he hit it in the hazard on 14 he was trying to place it and it kind of rolled back like a, a, a half inch inch and he picked it up and then you could tell in his mind he was like oh my god why did i just pick that up and he called a rules official over to, to see if he could replace it or if he had make him, made a mistake by picking it up. And I think that he was fully prepared to, to take the penalty if he had made the mistake by picking it up. So I just – everybody else is playing one set of rules. Patrick Reed's playing a different set. You know, congrats on your trophy. It's a sham. You're a sham. So uh, major brick to Patrick Reed. Yeah. What's amazing about Reed is he's kind of an everyman with his golf game. Like he doesn't hit it a long ways. He really is an outlier for today's golfer in terms of he doesn't hit it all very far. He has to scramble his tail off to win. His game and what he did in the Ryder Cup should make him like one of the most popular players on tour. But he is what he is. He's a cheater, among other things. And I don't know, sad. He, he should be one of the more popular players based on, you know, he doesn't have to hit it 350 to, to beat you. He just does it on pure will and, and just an unbelievable short game. Him with a wedge in his hand is just is fun to watch, frankly, even though it's Patrick Reed. Uh, one, one interesting thing, Colby, I'll start JW Walsh back in Stillwater as an analyst. This happened a few days, a few weeks ago, maybe, but uh, good to see JW back on, on campus as, uh, on the coaching staff. And, you know, JW is kind of like a Keaton page. You just knew as they were playing at OSU, like the second they were done playing, they'd be coaching. And, uh, it's cool to see JW back in Stillwater. Yeah, it definitely is. My, my one interesting thing is the Senior Bowl took place this past week. The reviews for Tylen Wallace were through the roof. I know we talked earlier, you know, a, a, anytime guys are evaluating somebody, they're like, well, what are his weaknesses? So we talked about his weaknesses earlier, but he has a long list of strengths. And, and he was dominating people at the Senior Bowl from everything uh, I saw on Twitter and just across social media. So uh, huge shout out to Tylen for his performance at the Senior Bowl. I'm sure Rodarius uh, and, and Tevin were great as well. And, and I just want to say, Carson, there are two people who I feel bad for, and it's the two GMs who get suckered in to drafting either Sam Ellinger or Kellen Mond, because <laughs> there are going to be GMs who, if they don't already have somebody in place, they're going to lose their jobs because they got suckered into drafting either Sam Ellinger or Kellen Mond. Neither of those guys is a starter in the NFL. So, uh, I boy, I can't wait for the draft. I'm, I'm geeked for the draft, and it's February 1st. I'd draft Ellinger as like a Taysom Hill, maybe, with my seventh-round pick. That's about it. It's like a poor man's Taysom Hill. Yeah. yeah. Not as fast, not as accurate, probably. Yeah, not, yeah. As, not as good. But, yeah, poor man's Taysom Hill, yeah. sure. Fullback's a good spot for a seventh-round pick. Yeah, same hey, here. I agree. <laughs> I, he can find a spot on a roster. I just hope nah, that he'll be, he'll be back in Austin as, like, Vince Young's liaison, like the whatever right. job he had with the athletic department. He'll be throwing yeah. up the horns on, on Saturdays. All right, Colby, uh, OSU plays at TCU Wednesday. We'll get back with you probably on Friday to discuss that, preview their game on Saturday against Texas. And I want to get your Super Bowl, your best Super Bowl prop bets. I love prop bets when it comes to the Super Bowl. I want to hear those from you and just kind of who you're, who you're thinking about picking in the game. But uh, for now, we'll bid you adieu, and we'll, we'll talk to you later in the week. Sounds good. Go, folks.